Well, we're going to turn to the Bibles. We're going to turn to John uh, chapter 6. It's on page 1070 in the Church Bibles. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Last week we saw Jesus um, feeding 5,000 people. Uh, An extraordinary, powerful miracle. But let's see what happened next. John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they'd gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there and um, we're going to look into this story now and have a think about it together. I wonder what you make of this story of Jesus walking on the water. I wonder what you make of it. Perhaps it's a story you've heard before. Perhaps it's new to you. And maybe your first instinct is, well, it's a, it's a cute little story. Disciples in the boat, having a tough time. Here comes Jesus, kind of wandering over the waves. Is that nice, isn't it? It's a good story for kids. It's quite a fun one with kids, because you can do a kind of a thing with a bucket and Playmobil people, and they all sink. You can see people sink, right? And here's Jesus, he walks on the water. And we can have some fun with it. And there's a, a, a cute little song that is, um, we used to sing in Sunday school when I was a little boy. We used to sing, with Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm, smile at the storm. And it's nice and it's fun and everyone has fun and we all smile and goes that fun. But it can re- relegate it to a slightly odd little story from history that we go, but it didn't really happen. I want to suggest that that's the wrong approach to this story. You may have guessed that. I want us to think a little bit harder. Why is it here? 
Why did John, when he was writing down his gospel, decide to include this miracle of Jesus walking on the water? It's a strange one. He's just fed 5,000 people, and then we're told he walks on water. And then what happens is a conversation about the feeding of the 5,000 people, which makes you go, well, what's the walking on water there for? It's not necessary that the story would work without walking on water. Jesus feeds 5,000, then they have a conversation about bread and stuff, and it all flows very nicely. But John decides to put a miracle about Jesus walking on water in the middle. Why? What's the link between the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle that John thinks is so important that we see? Well, for a start, this is the fifth sign that John tells us about Jesus. He's carefully recording for us signs that point to who Jesus is. He turned water into wine. He healed the official's son. He healed a paralyzed man by the pool. He fed 5,000 people and now he walks on water. These signs are pointing us to who Jesus is. They're showing us how great he is. They are revealing the glory of the Son. And we've seen, and this is really important, the the reason we've called this series Father and Son is because the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son is at the heart of this whole section of John's Gospel. Jesus said he is the Son who does whatever his Father does. That is a claim to be God. When they get angry with him and say, you can't do that, he says, yes I can because my Father does. And so over and over again, we're seeing Jesus the Son doing what his father did. Just as God fed his people in the Old Testament, now Jesus feeds them with bread. We saw that last week. But what about the walking on water? What's that got to do with it? Well, here's our first job this afternoon. The first thing we need to do is to understand the backdrop to this story. So what we're going to do first. Have you ever watched um, a green screen, uh, kind of how they made a film? I'm sorry if you are unaware of green screen. I'm about to spoil a lot of things for you. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. People can't actually fly. Uh, dragons don't actually exist. You know how it works, right? You have, you have the person who's acting, but then everything else is green, and then they fill in the background afterwards, right? And they look really weird. If you ever watch someone, they're, they're kind of fighting what you, just looks bizarre. They're fighting nothing. And you look at them and you go, that makes no sense at all. You're mad. You're just completely crazy. This isn't a good film. But what then happens in the editing is that the backdrop is put in place and suddenly you go, oh, I get it. There's a big dragon. I'm having a fight. I think lots of us read the stories of Jesus like that. We read Jesus doing his thing, but we never see the backdrop. And so we'll watch Jesus doing his thing, going, well, that's weird. I was at a, um, with some students two weeks ago, and someone said to me, it just seems weird to me that Jesus would do these miracles, like turn water into wine or walk on water. It just feels like he's showing off. I mean, what a weird thing to do. Hey, look at me, lads. <laughs> I can walk on the water. That's the sort of thing that Dynamo, the magician, would do, right? He famously walked on water on the Thames. 
He did it to show off. He did it to go, hey, look at me. He wasn't actually walking on water, just to be clear. But what Jesus is doing is so much different. And if you don't see the backdrop, you'll just think it's a funny little story. But the backdrop is extraordinary. So let's do some work on the backdrop and then we'll get into the story itself. Flip back one page. We saw this last week. John has told us what time of year it is. John has told us in John chapter 6 verse 4, the Jewish Passover festival was near. That's not an irrelevant detail. That is a detail that John thinks you need to know if you're going to understand his stories. The Passover festival was the time when God's people celebrated him rescuing them out of Egypt and setting them free. It's a big deal. It was one of the big celebrations in the Jewish festival. We have a God who rescues from slavery and sets us free. And here's what happened. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. It was miserable. It was awful. God sets them free through all these plagues and stuff. And they're released. But then things get bad. Because they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And the enemy, Egypt, start chasing them down. And it's very dramatic story in Exodus kind of chapters 13, 14. It's very dramatic because Pharaoh and his army are coming at them, but they're trapped up against the Red Sea. There's nowhere for them to escape. They have the enemy here and the sea here, and they are in big trouble. And God says this to them. God says, don't be afraid. Remember that. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Here is what God says when his people are in this terrible danger, enemy sea. God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to handle this. And he tells Moses, the leader, to hold out his staff and the sea parts, the Red Sea parts in a most extraordinary way. By the way, was that at day or night? It happened at night. It happened when it was dark. And so here it's God opening the sea and as the people walk through on dry land, God's people go through safely and they reach the other side safely because he was with them. Here is the God who has power over the sea. Here is the God who can part the waves. Here is the God who has power. And here is the God who comes and says, and yes, I will use that power for you. I will be with you. He is powerfully present with his people. That's what I want you to remember. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, is powerfully present for his people. If he was just powerful, that would be lovely, but it would be not much use to you. If God sits in heaven going, well, I'm powerful and I can do anything, and you're stuck on the beach between Pharaoh and the sea, you go, great, you're powerful, thanks very much. If he was just present but not powerful, that would be no help either. Don't worry, I'm here. Great. What are you going to do? Nothing. Sorry, I'd love to be able to help, but I'm with you. 
Now, what you most need, right, what you most need above anything else is a God who is powerfully present. That's what God says he is in the Old Testament. That's what Passover time is all about. So when you read it's Passover time, you are reading of the God who's powerfully present. That's the backdrop. It is the unique and specific reality that we read about God in the Old Testament. This is what makes God, God. Look at this. Here's what, um, look what he says later on. What other nation is so great as to have their God near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Here is what's true for God's people. God's people have the powerful God who's near them. What other God is like that? <laughs> what other nation can say that, they say in the Old Testament? So we're building up this backdrop now. We're seeing that Passover time is this time when they remember God's powerful presence with his people. But look at this verse from Job. This is an interesting verse for us as we build up this backdrop of um, who God is. Job says of God, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Who does? God does. He alone does that. Only God can stretch out the heavens and then walk on the waves. That's only a God thing. No man can do that. God does that. And then in Psalm 107, as we build up this pattern, look at this. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Here is the backdrop of what we're seeing. The God who we're introduced to in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, is the God who's powerfully present, the God who treads the waves, the God who comes to those in the storm and safely takes them to their desired destination. That's who he is. That's the backdrop. And God says to his people, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. We need all of that backdrop in order to understand this story. Now let's make the second movement in our, in our time together. We've understood the backdrop. Now we need to move on and behold the sun. Remember Jesus' claim in chapter 5. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. In fact, the Son can only do what the Father does. So we're now expecting that all that we've just seen is true of God in the Old Testament is going to be true of Jesus. That's his claim. So let's have a look at what happens. Right, let's get into the story. At the end of last week, when Jesus fed 5,000 people, look at verse 14 with me. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. After the miracle, the crowds are really excited. They're very impressed by the miracle. They say, this is the one, this is the king. Let's make him king. Jesus isn't interested in publicity. He's not an opportunist who's looking to promote himself. The crowds are ready, right? The crowds are ready to make him king. Jesus says, you don't know who I am yet. 
I'm so much more than you even have begun to imagine. And so Jesus withdraws to a mountain. He disappears. Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> this is your moment, Jesus. Go, take the crowds. And he's like, where's he gone? Where's he gone? He's gone up a mountain. A mountain. A mountain. Back in Exodus, Moses went up a mountain and met with God. Who do you meet up a mountain? You meet God. Here is Jesus on a mountain. You see, the hints are all here. It's the backdrop. Anyway, I haven't got time to do all that. So Jesus is up on a mountain being goddy. And meanwhile, his disciples get into a boat and cross over the lake. The first time you might go, that's a bit mean, isn't it? Let's leave Jesus. Let's just get in the boat and go. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus told them to. You go on ahead of me over the lake and I'll catch you up. I love that. This is a deliberate and intentional absence of Jesus. He withdraws himself and the disciples are now in the boat. Now look at halfway through verse 17. By now it was dark. Why are we being told it was dark? He's already told us the evening came. He's repeating himself. It's because for John the darkness really matters. In John, darkness is a motif that he keeps returning to. Darkness is a picture of, when we, of people who don't understand, who don't see God as he truly is. Darkness is a picture of those who are without God. And here are the disciples in the boat without Jesus, and it's dark. And remember, it was dark when God parted the Red Sea. All these things come together in John's gospel. Jesus has not yet joined them. A world that does not know God is in the dark. The darkness of confusion. The darkness of fear. And then it gets worse because in verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. I don't know if they named the strong wind. I don't know if they were into that, as we appear to be fascinated by. But the strong wind starts blowing. And you see now you've got a group of Guys, in a boat, it's dark and there's strong wind and rough waves. And they're desperately trying to get across the lake and they're rowing. They're rowing. Now they're used to being on the water, okay? These are seagoing guys, these are fishermen, some of them. They know what they're doing, but the struggle is real. The pressure is on. They're not making progress. They, they travel about three or four miles. Now you say, that sounds pretty good in a boat. Actually, it wasn't. They've been rowing all night and they're just not getting across. It's about 12 miles across. They're only about a third of the way there. It's hard. These guys are not novices. They know how to row. But it's tough. It's dark and it's a struggle. It's hard. But now look at Jesus. I think the contrast is incredible. You got it? You got to picture this with me. You got to see it. The disciples in the boat, struggling, 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 battered by the waves, blown off course. And then suddenly, we're told they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. 
And what is such a struggle and so hard for the disciples seems effortless for Jesus. The struggle, the blistered hands and the sore back contrasted to the majestic ease of Jesus striding across the waves. You see the contrast? He's striding through the wind. He's plowing through the waves. It's such a clear picture of humanity in our weakness and yet here is the one who treads the waves. I've heard that somewhere before. Only God can do that. The one who parted the seas in the days of Exodus now walks over the seas of Galilee. But this is no mere trick. Do you see where he's heading? Where's he going? As he walks, this isn't an idle stroll across the lake. This is a walk with a point. I don't know about you, some people like going on walks that have no point. I've never understood it. I, I, I remember as a child being so deeply offended by parking a car in a car park, walking in a big circle and arriving back at the car and thinking, but we haven't gone anywhere. We could have just stayed here. I like a walk with a point to it. We're going somewhere. There's something to do. If there's a meal at the end, great. Let's do that. Jesus is not out for a casual stroll I feel like stretching my legs. I think I'll go over the lake. He's got a point. He has a goal in mind. He's approaching the boat. Do you see it? They see Jesus approaching the boat. He is intentional in where he's going. He is going towards his disciples. This is, this is Jesus. He's powerfully present with his disciples. He comes to them in their struggle, in their darkness, in their frustration, in their blown-off course. Jesus strides across the waves to them, to be with them. The disciples are frightened. We're told at the end of verse 19, and in fairness, that's a legitimate response, isn't it? When you are confronted with the raw power, the supernatural power of Jesus, there is a right response to be terrified of him. Jesus is not a tame Jesus who you can stroke. He's not a bunny rabbit that you go to a petting farm and they put him on your lap and you go, oh, look, he's a little bunny rabbit, he's so soft and lovely. Jesus is more like a lion. He's not tame. He's not a Jesus who you can kind of treat like he's some kind of superstitious charm. He's almighty. He treads the waves. He is terrifying in his power. He's a lion who roars. But then he says these words. Are you ready? He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Literally, Jesus says, I am. Don't be afraid. That is the name that God used to introduce himself in Exodus. I am. And perhaps here there's even a hint that Jesus is using that name just as a clue. 
The God of Exodus who said, I am. When Moses said, what is your name? He said, my name is, I am what I am. And here is Jesus who strides over the waves. They're terrified and he says, I am. God, do you feel the weight? Do you feel the power that shudders through those words? I am. Don't be afraid. It is the presence of Jesus that removes the reason to be afraid. Let's talk about your fears for a second. What are you afraid of? What is it that makes you fearful? We all get afraid, don't we? We all have things that terrify us. That is why the most common command in the Bible is, don't be afraid. When God comes to his people, he says, don't be afraid. He doesn't say, don't be afraid, because that doesn't, oh, don't be afraid, there's nothing. You know when um, a dog comes running up to you, barking its head off, and is going to eat you alive? And the owner says, don't be afraid, he's just being friendly. It doesn't look friendly, right? Jesus doesn't come and say, don't be afraid, it's all all right. He comes and says, I am, don't be afraid. See? The presence of Jesus is the means by which our fears are removed. It works like this. You know a seesaw, right? You've all been on a seesaw. You know how seesaws work. This doesn't even help. You understand that the heavier person has all the power on a seesaw. It's just how it works. You have all the power and all the control. You know, if, you, if you're the heavy one and there's a little kid on the other end, it's great fun, isn't it? Because you can just toy with them. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And when you're sat down, you're so heavy that there is nothing they can do because their little legs are flapping in the air and they're totally powerless to do anything because they're not heavy enough. This is how our fears work. Our fears are things that feel incredibly heavy to us things that feel so weighty and they push the seesaw down and we go flying up in the air and our legs are flapping and we can't do anything about it and we feel powerless and we feel like this is... I'm stuck. Do you know what you need? Here is what you need. In order to not be afraid, what you need is something or someone heavier than your fears. You see, that what the little kid with its legs flapping in the air needs is a bigger, heavier adult to come down and go, don't worry, I'll sort it out, and send you flying off into the air. What you need is someone who's heavier than your fears. What we're being shown in John's Gospel is here is the glory. Glory literally means weight. Here is the glory of Jesus, the one who strides across the waves, the one who is more powerful than you could ever imagine. And the one who comes and says, don't be afraid. And it's as you get to know Jesus, and as you see him as he truly is, as you behold the Son, suddenly you discover, I don't need to be afraid because he's heavier. The trouble is we have such a flimsy bunny rabbit view of Jesus that he's not heavy enough. 
And so we go, oh yeah, that's fine, Jesus is here, but he doesn't really help because the fears are so heavy. What we need is to see how heavy he is. We actually need to learn to fear him, to see him in all his glory. This is what God said to his people in the Exodus days. He said, you need to fear me more than you fear the enemy, more than you fear the thing that you are scared of. And not a fear that is terrified, but a fear that is weighty. Oh, if we could see Jesus as he truly is. Right now, if you could see him as he truly is. If you'd been in that boat and watched him stride across the waves. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. So tell me about your fears. What is it you're afraid of? Are you afraid of failure? Does that terrify you? Are you afraid that you're not going to meet people's expectations? You're not going to be able to do what you want to do? You're afraid you're going to screw things up? Perhaps that's a terrifying fear to you and it weighs your seesaw down. But Jesus strode across the waves so that you could hear him say, don't be afraid. I will be powerfully present with you. Maybe you're afraid of missing out. You're afraid that by following Jesus, your life's going to be rubbish. Jesus says, I'm heavier than that. Maybe you're afraid that you're not going to have the relationship or the perfect life or the job or the career that you so desperately wanted. And Jesus says, I'm heavier than that. I have greater glory than that. Don't be afraid, it's I. I don't know what it is you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of your own sin. You fail so often, you think, I can't do this. My sin is too heavy, it's too heavy. Jesus is heavy enough. He's heavy enough. Maybe you're afraid of death itself. Jesus is even heavy enough to carry us through death. Don't be afraid, he says, I am. And Jesus is the one who is powerfully present, who comes to us in our fears, in our struggle, in our darkness, in our distress and our frustration, with our blistered hands and our sore backs. And he says, I'm with you, I'm with you, don't be afraid even to the extent that he would go to a cross, taste death itself, and then rise again so that you could know how heavy he truly is. He has dealt with your sin. He's paid for it all. He has dealt with your death. He's paid for it all. He's dealt with your failure, your guilt, and your shame. It's all done. He's heavier. He's dealt with your disappointments. He's dealt with your fears, your shame, all of it. verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat. When you see the heaviness of Jesus, you've got to take him into your boat. You've got to let him be God of your life. And as soon as he gets in the boat, isn't this weird? Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They've been struggling and struggling and struggling. They've made little headway. Jesus gets in the boat. Oh, we're there. What a weird little detail. Except that that's what God is like. 
He's simply doing what his father does. His father took the Egyptians through, uh, the Israelites through the Red Sea safely to the other side. Psalm 107. We, we saw it earlier. Here is the one who takes us in the middle of the storm and guides us, directs us to our desired haven. And here is the one who comes to you and says, I will take you safely home. I will take you safely to the other side. You will get there. And you say, I don't know if I can. I can't do it. My sin is too heavy. I'm too much of a failure. I'm too weak. And Jesus says, but I'm heavy enough. I am. Don't be afraid. Let me get in your boat. And we were going to do more, but we're not doing any more than that. We'll, We'll pick it up again next week. Because I feel like this is, this is what Jesus wants you to know this afternoon. The God who was powerfully present with his people in the Old Testament is now powerfully present with us through Jesus. He doesn't stand at a distance. He doesn't watch you struggle. And even in those moments when it feels dark and struggling, he is walking through your storm over the waves, approaching your boat, because that's how much he cares. And he comes so that he can say to you, I am, don't be afraid. And so that you might safely reach your destination. That is, that he might take you safely through death to eternal life. That has always been what John's Gospel is about. How do you get to life forever? How do you get there? Well, you get there as you trust the one who can walk on the waves. So what are you going to do with your fears this afternoon? What are you going to do with the darkness and the struggle? I guess the disciples could have said, "Uh, no thanks Jesus, we'll be alright, we'll just keep going. Far too many people treat Jesus like that today. Thanks Jesus, that's really nice, but I'm okay, got this under control. But Jesus has come to your boat today and he says, will you let me in? Let me deal with your fears. And to refuse him means to remain in the darkness. It means to remain in the struggle. And it means ultimately that we will face death, not life. This is why it matters today. With Jesus in the boat we may not be able to smile at the storm. But with Jesus in the boat, we will be safe in the storm. And he will take us home. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son to do exactly what you do. Thank you that you are the God who is powerfully present. Lord, we want to know the powerful presence of Jesus with us by his spirit now. Lord, many of us can identify with that experience of darkness and frustration and struggle. Many of us can identify with that feeling of fear, of being afraid. And Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus as he is glorious and that we might trust him. Lord, help us, we pray. Amen.